Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them his command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking initially up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Amen. Right, how's it going? Two weeks through our Bible reading, one quarter of the way, 25%. If you stuck it so far, congratulations. Well done. Maybe you say, well, it's only four books, but two very large books in those four. And we have already realized how important the presence of Luke is in our New Testament. What a large proportion of that New Testament has been written by Luke. Last week, I'm sure you thought about it, the gospel, and considered how that had been written and what he had to say to us through that. Today, we're thinking about the book of Acts, his sequel, and also the two letters to the church at Thessalonica. I just want for a few moments to 
share some of the thoughts that I've had about what's been turning in my mind as I've read and reread some of these passages. I mean, I've read all of Acts, but I've gone back and reread. And um, because I was preparing for today, I must admit, I was a bit ahead of you. And so I had to go back then and remind myself what I had read. But my thoughts, well, it's my privilege to be able to get in first. But downstairs, you'll be able to give your share of what you believe God has been saying through these wrongs. And tell me where I've got it wrong. <laughs> where I've been totally mistaken, misled as to what Luke was trying to tell us. Luke begins his book, his second book, his sequel, which he calls the Acts of the Apostles. And he names them, we named them, had them all there before us, the eleven. And further on in that chapter, he goes into great detail how they make that up to twelve. He's obviously maintaining continuity with the gospel. The gospel, there were 12 apostles. He said, sadly, of course, we've lost Judas. So now they need to make up the 12. And if the book is called the Acts of the Apostles, then you would imagine that the rest of the Acts is all about the 12 and what they did. So that's the first surprise. If you've not studied Acts before, is finding out how little... We learn about these 12 after that. We learn a little bit about Peter. Much lesser extent about John. But that's it, isn't it? The others might not be there. We don't hear mention of them at all. And lots of new faces appear. These deacons, seven deacons are appointed, of whom we learn a great deal about Stephen and Philip. They have important roles to play. Stephen is a fine preacher, a long sermon that he delivers. And then, of course, sadly, as a consequence, he's stoned to death. And then Philip is an evangelist in Samaria, and then to that Ethiopian. But, of course, the biggest surprise of all within the book of Acts is the emergence of Saul. The persecutor of the church, we read. The one who had letters from the priest to go and follow those disciples and search them out, hunt them down. And how that man's soul becomes Paul, the apostle. And the second half of Acts is all about, of course, Paul and what he does, his evangelistic efforts both in Asia and then latterly in Europe. But although Luke describes this book as the Acts of the Apostles, and I say it's surprising that the Apostles are not whom we first imagine them going to be, but it's really too, isn't it, not so much about the Apostles as people, as what prompts them. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why right at the beginning... We read about how Jesus promised that they would receive that spirit. The power of the spirit would be upon them. And then 
I hope you notice right through that book, time and again, it's the prompting of the Spirit that's so important. And you get this conclusion and you come to the end that these weren't men's plans or women's plans. It was all the work of the Spirit. We read how Paul wanted to go on to the north coast of Asia Minor and around the Black Sea. But no, he had to come to Europe, didn't he? <laughs> and into Greece and Macedonia. He didn't want to. We read, is the prompting of the Spirit and that dream he had of the man saying, come over, come to Europe. You can imagine what a culture shock that must have been for Paul. He'd never been to Europe before. Why should anybody want to go to Europe? He was a good Asian. Man from the East. Why come West? Much the same as we look the other way and say, well, why go East? You know, what's the matter with where we are? But he went. And we read how, of course, he was so successful. And one church, particular Thessalonica, is where the two letters that we read, he wrote, and we will look at those in a minute. Surprised, too, that back home in Jerusalem, who becomes head of the church? None other than James, the brother of Jesus, who's not mentioned as one of the apostles. We wouldn't know he was there. And all of a sudden, just almost by the by, Oh, James, head of the church. And Luke leaves it at that. You get the impression, perhaps rightly or wrongly, that if James had had his way, <laughs> the church would have stayed in Jerusalem <laughs> and just been a Jerusalem sect of Judaism. That he wasn't really keen on all this going out among the heathen, the Gentiles. The smelly, peculiar people who eat unclean food. And I think worst of all, and possibly this is the real reason, of course, that he didn't really understand their language. And language now as then was a great barrier. We don't feel comfortable if we go to places where they speak foreign, don't they? What's all that about? <laughs> And we envy those who are fluent in more than one language. And we feel isolated and naturally want to draw back because we can't relate properly with people who don't speak our language. And I suspect that with James, that was part of the problem. And that was why Paul was so wonderful in that he could move among other people and speak their language. And so Luke provides us with this sequel to his gospel, a gospel where Jesus moves from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now he has the apostles moving from Jerusalem to Rome. Completely different scale. From 80 miles to what? 2,000 is it from Jerusalem to Rome? Something like that. It's a huge increase in scale. But paradoxically, when you read Luke 
and his gospel, and you read Acts, the one thing that struck me, and it hadn't really struck me before, because you don't often read the one following on from the other, is that in Acts, Luke has a very keen sense of place. You always know where he is. And if you've got your Bibles, you'll always, and I think church Bible, no exception, you'll see maps at the back drawn of Paul's journeys. Well, they're based on Luke account in Acts. Because you can say, he went to A, then to B, then to C, and then he doubled back and he went here. We've got it all mapped out. Luke knows exactly where everything is. And in some of the passages, of course, if you noticed as you read, he says, we went. Very suggestive that, unmentioned, that all than likely, Luke was there among the party. So, of course, knew, Luke knew where things were. He'd been there himself. Or he talked at first hand with people who had. So we have a very good sense of place in Acts. But you read that after the gospel. And it struck me, as it never struck me before, Luke hasn't a clue. <laughs> you read the Gospels, and there's no sense of place hardly at all. I mean, he's aware that there's Galilee, and he's aware that it's Jerusalem. But in between, it's very vague. There's one incident, I mean, we know it well, of Martha and Mary. Well, you wouldn't know from that account that Bethany's almost in Jerusalem. <laughs> It just doesn't come out. You get this impression that, as Luke himself admitted, of course, he relied on other sources to write the gospel. But it wasn't that first-hand experience that he had when he writes Acts. You get a real sense of being there in Luke's Acts of the Apostles. Well, time is moving on and we need to go downstairs. So very briefly about Thessalonians, one and two Thessalonians. I hope you appreciated that we're using a very new translation. The, nine, the 2011 version of the NIV. That's in here as opposed to what we have in the church Bibles. Because you read at the beginning of Thessalonians, if I can find it very briefly, in that third paragraph, and we read in this version, you know, brothers and sisters. You read the church Bibles, and it will just say brothers. What we have here is an all-inclusive version, and the letter goes right through brothers and sisters brothers and sisters he wants to show that he's one with them he really believes although as I say he was a nation and they were Macedonian they were foreign they'd been foreign but now once he got to know them being among them now he's separated from them and is anxious to get back and give them advice about how they should be running their church he wants to say, we're brothers and sisters. Isn't that wonderful? Nothing could be better than that to say, I want to show that we are family. And that's the best sort of church. And as I read that, I thought, yes, 
I hope that's something that we can all say about churches we have known and the church here in particular, that we can refer to each other as brothers and sisters. Because we're all one under the fatherhood of God. If we believe that God is Father, then you are my sister, you are my brother. We can truly say, brothers and sisters. And I hope as we read the other letters, we'll appreciate how Paul wants to emphasize this sense of family. That yes, sometimes he criticizes, yes, he pulls them up short, yes, but that's because he cares for them. That's because he wants them to be the best. Just as I might say to one of my sons, is that really a good idea? (laughs) And they know daddy's really cross when he says something like that. But it's because I care, rather than just let it run and say, I'm not bothered. No. When it's family, you care because it's part of you. And that's, I hope, something that we'll see as we read these letters. And that's the task for the next fortnight, to go through all the other letters that Paul wrote to see how he was caring for his people. Even though he was separated by many miles, he wanted them to be the best for Christ. He'd helped establish them. The work of the Holy Spirit had been there among them. He was keen that they would continue along the right lines. And that's why he wrote these two letters, which we've already read, and the other letters which will follow on. Well, we've reached the end of our time. I can see our minister getting very anxious, sitting there at the back saying, David, yes, wind it up. (laughs) He's not making signs like that, but I know we will call it a halt there. We'll now play our little video of the Community Bible Experience. I can do all things through Christ. Love is patient, love is kind. Hand this man over to Satan. Women should remain silent. These are some of the more famous or infamous sayings of the Apostle Paul. Paul's influence on the early church cannot be overstated. After all, he's credited with writing a quarter of the New Testament. His letters shape the beliefs and practices of Christians across the Roman Empire and beyond. During his travels, Paul founded dozens of churches and influenced many more. While on the road, or occasionally from prison, Paul wrote letters offering encouragement and instruction, answering questions, and, more often than he would have liked, doing on-the-fly crisis management. Thirteen of these letters survive today. Paul's letters typically follow the same pattern. First, there's an introduction, along with a usually friendly greeting. Then, a thanksgiving and prayer for the recipients, followed by the main body. Finally, the closing section, in which Paul shares greetings from mutual friends. Most modern Bibles, believe it or not, arrange Paul's letters by length. Reading them in a more historical order can help you retrace Paul's steps as he brought the good news about Jesus to communities across the empire. Now, if you find yourself scratching your head while reading Paul, you're not alone. Even the Apostle Peter, one of the preeminent leaders of the early church, said that Paul's letters could be, well, hard to understand. 
Some of that's because for us, reading Paul is like listening in on one side of a conversation. Each letter addressed a certain audience dealing with a particular set of circumstances. For example, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians were written to a church in northern Greece that was facing opposition and wondering when God would come back to rescue them. A number of Paul's letters, like Galatians, Romans, and Colossians, dealt with the tension of Jewish and non-Jewish believers trying to live as one new community and how the whole thing fit into God's larger plan for humanity anyway. One of the best things you can do as you read Paul is to put yourself in the shoes of his original audience. Try to read each letter from their point of view. Who knows? It might even shed light on some of Paul's more infamous statements.